Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. There was a goose at Dodger Stadium. (laughs) Only in October. I'd rather see a goose at Dodger Stadium or a squirrel or a cat get loose in a ballpark than any streaker with his pink smoke bomb. So bring on the geese. Although I always remember and feel badly for the animals because you know they're terrified. With all of those people, with all of that noise, they're thinking, how the hell did I end up here? (laughs) How do I get out of here? (laughs) Remember, they're always more afraid of us than we are of them. I tell myself that whenever I encounter a spider who threatens to take my house from me. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. We're live, of course, from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance yours, Rocket Mortgage can help you get there. For home loan solutions that fit your life, Rocket can. We will check on the health of the goose, the health and well-being of the goose at Dodger Stadium when we have the opportunity. But we talked about the two National League games that finally were played on Wednesday night. Both those series are even. The American League is back in the spotlight come Thursday And I'm wondering if we're going to get the same kind of fireworks that we had at Minute Maid Park in Houston to wrap game one between the Mariners and the Astros. The 0-1. And Alvarez belts it. Deep to right field. Houston goodbye. Unbelievable. The Astros a walk-off win. Jordan Alvarez a walk-off three-run homer. And the Astros stun the Mariners in game one of the division series. Incredible. The house of horrors for the Seattle Mariners continues as they mob Alvarez by home plate. A miraculous comeback for Houston. Astros win it 8-7. to seven. Well, it was exciting, all right. And once we heard it, and we played it multiple times because it was so entertaining, and they put every ounce of energy they had into it. Obviously, the the 41,000-plus fans at Minute Maid Park went completely nutso. It was utter pandemonium. Perfect opportunity to grab a member of the Astros broadcast team, Robert Ford and Steve Sparks. They're the play-by-play voices, and I listen to them even in the dead of summer because I enjoy their their broadcast, and I, I think that they're so much fun and obviously very competent, too. And so we're pleased to welcome Steve Sparks, even getting ready now for the road trip that's upcoming. Now, still game two will be played in Houston on Thursday, but then they have to travel. So we're glad to grab a couple minutes with Steve, who's also a former big league pitcher. So, Steve, you hear the call there. What was that like for you to have that Jordan Alvarez ball just get blasted and the whole stadium go crazy? I think it was just a buildup, Amy, more than anything else. Is we're anticipating the whole time, okay, you know, we're telling the audience Altuve's batting third this inning, and Altuve has 23 career postseason home runs. We just need a, you know, a guy or two to get on base, find a way. And David Hensley, his first career postseason at bat, he finds a way to get on on base. So Altuve's got a chance with the runner on. Altuve strikes out. Pena goes down two strikes, 
And the slider's been killing him all year long. And he's able to, to keep his bat, reach out, and line a single up the middle. And that whole time, we were leading up. We are saying, Jordan is on deck. There's the shadow right there. We see it right in front of us. So he gets to the plate. And then that's when the, the drama builds. And his broadcasters, Robert Ford and myself, were just going, oh, my gosh. We've seen him come through so many times. And then they bring in the lefty. And it just doesn't matter with Kyle Tucker or Jordan Alvarez. It just doesn't matter if it's a righty or a lefty. And if you make a bad pitch, typically uh, those guys make them pay. You know, and coming up in big moments and being able to to keep your pulse down uh, the way he does, it looked like such a a beautifully controlled swing. Uh, We couldn't contain ourselves. And Robert was out of his seat immediately. His seat flies uh, back against this refrigerator in our broadcast booth, he's up in the air, he's screaming. Uh, I'm waiting, you know, we want to make sure that uh, everybody can hear the crowd. It breathes as much as we can, but everybody wants to get their two cents in. And uh, we did our best. We contained ourselves just enough uh, for people to be able to understand at least what we were, what we were watching. Could you even hear yourself think though? Because it certainly sounded like you felt like you were drowned out by the crowd. Yeah, it, there's just a vibrant. We feel it on our desk. There's a vibration. You know, everybody's out of their seat. The inning percolated. It was like a, a, a massive cup of coffee or a volcano uh, waiting to erupt. And uh, we felt it, you know. And, and as we're going, uh, it's kind of a blackout feeling, really. <laughs> Robert will probably tell you the same thing. I think a lot of people watched and, and heard Robert's call. He was phenomenal. And uh, he got every bit of emotion out there that I think every Astros fan was feeling at the same time. Is it possible to encapsulate what Jordan Alvarez means to this team? No, not really. I mean, you, you've you've heard it for a long time, and even some of the the veteran players, you know, Yuli Gurriel, Ledmez Diaz, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman. These guys were were saying a year or two ago, this is the best hitter we've ever seen. You know, and I, I thought the same thing. And, and I faced David Ortiz a lot uh, throughout my career. And I saw him with Minnesota and then, of course, went on to be uh, an icon in Boston. And that's what that's what Jordan reminded me the very first time I saw him. I mean, his, his body, his frame, uh, his, his strike zone discipline, the way he hits the ball to all, everything reminded me of Big Poppy. So, uh, you know, now you start to hear, and, and I'm talking to some of my uh, compatriots, guys that I played against, you know, uh, they're saying the same thing. That's Big Poppy, you know, and, and be able to watch him at 25 years old uh, to be able to command the stage the way he does. It's it's pretty fun. That is high praise. And with the, the body type and the size of both Big Poppy yep. and Jordan, it kind of feels like every time they connect with a pitch, it should be out of the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, the exit velocity is ridiculous. I mean, we'll see all these outs and you're just going, well, that's kind of a ho-hum play. And you look at the Statcast is 111 miles per hour off his bat. Just a just a ho hum line out to right field. He does that stuff all the time. Just glad he's playing baseball. We're spending a few minutes with Steve Sparks, who's one half of that Astros radio team. Robert Ford, uh, the play by play. Steve also a former big league pitcher, so we get that expertise on the broadcast. It's after hours on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, I'd love to hear your insight on Justin Verlander. What did you see with him yesterday? Just, you know, a little lack of command. And, you know, that happens from time to time. It was just – we saw it a couple times during the season. It didn't happen very often. He had a 1.75 ERA, so very infrequently. But he had one of those clunkers against Seattle earlier 
in the season. I think May 27th gave up four homers, gave up six runs in that game, and uh, next game actually faced Seattle and, and dominated. So uh, nobody uh, redeems himself as well as the future Hall of Famer. You know, Verlander's, I mean, he's the marquee name on this team, and, and everybody follows his lead. And I think it's fun to, to watch a lot of his interviews these days with Verlander. He's talking about he's taking the blinders off. He was out of the game uh, for a couple of years and realized he wants to, to soak it in. And, and uh, he said his routine's embedded enough uh, into his psyche where he can take those blinders off and, and, and be a, a resource for his teammates. And he's enjoyed that. He, he wants to be a mentor and a good friend and a good teammate. And he feels like uh, that little time off and having a baby and things of that nature have kind of uh, opened his eyes a little bit. So it's, it's fun to have this version of him around. Considering his age, could you imagine what he had to go through as a pitcher, even if he is a freak athlete, to be able to get to this point and have the season he did again after the injury and the time away? You know what, Amy? I had a buddy of mine watch his showcase in December. He's a scout for the Texas Rangers. And he called me and just said, hey, man, I saw I saw Verlander throw. And keep in mind, he was a free agent. And he's throwing for all these teams. They said, I don't think I've ever seen him better. Whoa. You know, and he, this is a guy who, you know, played for quite a while in the big leagues, and uh, he knew what he was watching, and he said it was the most impressive little showcase he'd ever been to. So I knew, I, I you know, I, I knew not to doubt anything that was about to come our way, and I knew that there was going to be no stone unturned as far as his, his rehab went and how hard he was going to work. I mean, he's a freak in that way. You know, we see guys in different sports, the Tiger Woods, the Tom Brady's and such, that play at a high level uh, as they age. And Verlander is, you know, that combination of great talent who's been able to take advantage of, of technology and who's very disciplined. He, he's taken advantage of nutrition, sleep, and whatever it is to, to get a 39-year-old to go out there every five or six days and dominate. So it's Framber Valdez in game number two coming up yeah. on Thursday. How do you like the way this rotation could stack up, considering the travel days, but also the that kind of weird day off in between game one and two? Yeah, you know, if you if you look forward, you know, and, and you're thinking who can bounce back and, and pitch a game five if necessary, Framber's the one who, who's is the most likely to be able to do that. He's very strong. Uh, we saw the 25 consecutive quality starts. Uh, which is a single-season se- major league record he set this year. Uh, but he gets deep into the ball games and he bounces back very quickly. So he's matured very much uh, mentally uh, in the last couple of years. He's got a sports psychologist that, that, that's helped him through some of that. And uh, he's very difficult for, for a manager, Amy, I would say. And we say this sometimes in the broadcast, it's very hard to take out of a ball game. And uh, I think a lot of people understand he's, he's the probably the best ground ball uh, inducing pitcher we've seen since Brandon Webb of the Diamondbacks probably 15, 20 years ago, uh, 67% uh, basically for, for Farmer the last few years. And uh, it's hard to take a guy like that out of any game with any circumstance because he's just one pitch away from getting a ground ball double play. So uh, he'll get deeper into the ball games just for that, that fact alone. You mentioned manager, and I'm I'm glad you did because I was going to ask you about Dusty Baker. I've asked other people mm-hmm. like Jeff Blum. I'm pretty sure I asked Robert about him too. Why has he been the right fit for the Astros to give them stability, but not just that, to keep them playing at the highest level? 
Right. Well, the obvious answer is he came in right after the cheating scandal. They need a they needed a respectable uh, person at the front. They needed a face for this organization that people respected, and Dusty was the perfect fit for that. Beyond that, I mean, it's it's the uh, the experience, it's the uh, culture that he he provides for the guys to be themselves. Uh, he's continued a philosophy to let young guys uh, feel at ease in a clubhouse, and that usually, well, that wasn't the case, you know, 15, 20 years ago and all the way back. That, you know, if, you, if you're a rookie, you were to be seen, not heard, but uh, it's not that way. You know, they make these guys uh, feel comfortable, and, and that way you get the, the best version of those guys when they come uh, to the big leagues. And Jeremy Payne is a perfect example of that, and he had – Big shoes to fill at the shortstop position for the Astros this year, but uh, everybody put their arm around him and, and helped him through his first major league season, and he did he did great. I mean, everything uh, about him, you know, just exuded somebody who was very comfortable in that clubhouse, and, and he appreciated it. He's a very humble kid anyway, but that's the type of uh, culture that Dusty uh, has going on in that clubhouse, and, and it's the freedom of the coaches to coach, and the players to play, and he's comfortable enough in his own skin to let that that play out. I think similar to a Brian Snitker, that Dusty Baker would be a sentimental favorite to get that ring. Could you imagine after all these years to see mm-hmm. him finally on the top would be amazing? Three-time manager of the years, uh, ninth in the all-time wins list. Uh, he's done everything. He was a great player. I mean, he can draw uh, expertise from so many experiences he's had. But he's just a great people person. I'll tell you this. Uh, the first year that Dusty was in spring training with the Astros, they were playing in Jupiter. And I think they were playing the Marlins that day. And there was a couple of guys that drove four hours uh, across the state, uh, a couple of his former players. I think it was Kurt Manwaring and maybe an infielder that he had with San Francisco, just to go and support Dusty for about 30 minutes during batting practice just to put their arms around him to say good luck and let yeah. everybody else there know that these are guys that played for Dusty 15, 20, 25 years ago wow. that still made an impact in their lives and they were going to show uh, him their support. And that really struck me as like, man, that, he made an impression on those guys. Really good to spend a few minutes with Steve Sparks, one half of the Astros radio team and a former big league pitcher himself. It's after hours on CBS Sports Radio. Okay, Steve, tell me if this sounds crazy. I actually feel like the Astros, even with 106 wins, the fact that they have led the American League West the whole season, essentially, I feel like they even then still flew under the radar. Is that possible? Yeah, I think so. You know, they did it in a different fashion this year, Amy, and I think – most people uh, remembered, you know, when they were really kind of dominating their division, and they still dominated their division, but they did it offensively. And when you do it offensively, then I think it stands out more. But this team did a pitching, and you had a six-man rotation, and that allowed Verlander to recover and, and stay fresh throughout the season. But they dominated pitching-wise. And the lineup's not quite as deep and relentless as, as it's been. Uh, in years past, but it's still potent. You know, and we've talked ad nauseum about Jordan, of course, but uh, they've still got a lot of guys who can beat you in different ways. But overall, it's the pitching. And, and a lot of times, you know, when you're talking about the seventh inning reliever or uh, your fourth starting pitcher who's got an ERA 
under three. Uh, that doesn't get the headlines like some of these power hitters. <laughs> like Aaron Judge? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And you, you can't blame them. I mean, those are the things that excite people. But the Astros, <laughs> you know, one through whatever, one through 14 or whatever, they, they pitched as well as anybody this year. So, Steve, when you think about the Mariners and the way they got into the playoffs and ended their drought, I mean, it was back-to-back walk-offs late in the season. They have a flair for the dramatic. They've got this incredible young rookie with a megawatt smile and a game to match. What impresses you about the Mariners? You know, I remember getting in the elevator about five years ago with Jerry Depoto after a game, and the Astros throttled them in in Seattle. And, you know, we were done. We were getting – ready to go get on the bus. But DePoto was going downstairs, or he was on the elevator at the same time. And he looked at me and he said, you guys are just too fast for us. We just got to get more athletic. So he was, he, you know, that was the bar. You know, they were watching, what do we have to do to, to win the division? Slowly but surely, you know, you start to see the guys that they brought in. And they've gotten guys, uh, you know, in the bullpen who get swing and miss. You know, a couple of guys in the rotation we'll see. One of them in particular, Luis Castillo, tomorrow, swing and miss. You know, some of the things that the Astros were looking for when, when they put together this roster, uh, the Mariners have done. And, and matchup-wise, as far as athleticism, I think, I think they're on par. I mean, I think these, both of these teams are very, very athletic now. And I think the only thing that the Astros probably have over Seattle at this point is experience. And when you have confidence and experience and something to draw on, I think it matters sometimes. And we saw that yesterday, of course, but that doesn't mean that anybody's going to take them for granted. Seattle's a very, very good team. They've had a great season and they have hope. You know, you're down eight to one in that game against Toronto and you come back. uh, Everybody in their dugout has that fresh in their memory. And, and, you know, if, if they fall behind at any point, uh, the rest of this series, they're always going to have hope. And if you have hope, you're going to always be very dangerous. But even on top of hope, they have a lot of talent. <laughs> they do. What does it mean to a clubhouse to have an infusion of talent, but also a personality like Julio Rodriguez? Right. Yeah, it, it means everything. You know, and he's quickly become the face. He's the face of that franchise. He's the best player on their team. There, there's no question about that. And they're going to ride him for 15 years probably, you know, (laughs) and, you know, if they can keep him on the field, uh, he's going to take him to where they want to go. There's no doubt in my mind. He's, he's very special. He's going to be one of the the most talked about enigmatic players in the game for years to come. Before I let you go, because I know that uh, you do have game two coming up on Thursday. When I think about this season, the lockout is a distant memory kind of cast a shadow for months and it was a big talking Mm -hmm. point and there were people who swore off baseball and that was it I'm never going back and honestly it feels like all of that has faded almost as though it was a bad dream when you think about the state of baseball the health of baseball this season Steve what's your assessment well I was thinking about that during spring training I, I had an Airbnb already lined up and I was there for I think three weeks before the lockout was settled. So I was going to the ballpark and it was me, Dusty Baker and Gary Pettis, the Astros third base coach, the ones that are watching the minor <laughs> leaguers every day. So we had a lot, lot to talk about, but we were drawing on the last strike and, and what that meant and, and, and what that hangover felt like. And when we came back in 1995, after that long strike, uh, it was brutal. I mean, the fans, you're talking about swearing off baseball. There's still people, 
that have sworn off baseball since then that haven't come back yet. So uh, it was a very difficult time. Uh, the players felt it for a long time and, until really until Cal Ripken uh, broke Lou Gehrig's consecutive game streak. Uh, there was nothing really to feel good about about baseball. So that's what you were thinking about during that time in, in, this spring. And we were hopeful and we were hearing rumors, this and that, just like everybody else didn't really have the clear answers that we were hoping for. But we were hopeful that we weren't going to go through something similar that we did uh, 25 years ago. Yeah, it certainly doesn't seem like it. Most of the people that I've talked to uh, almost don't remember that it ever happened, which is a good thing for baseball. That's great. Steve Sparks, one half of the Astros broadcast team. I enjoy listening to you and Robert Ford, even when it's dead of summer and I could be watching on TV. <laughs> you guys are a fun listen. Thank you so much for a couple of minutes. It's great to catch up with you. Thanks for having me, Amy. Always a pleasure. They are good. If you've never heard Robert and Steve, uh, they've been working together now for a decade, so they have a great rapport, and they're just fun. Uh, You've got baseball announcers who know how to make it a a fun listening experience, even though, I've used this stat before, in a three-hour baseball game, only six and a half minutes is actual play-by-play. The rest is stories and stats and perspective (laughs) and setup. It's just, it's not the same as basketball, which is nonstop, or football, which at least has uh, stretches of intensity, even if there is more downtime, too. All right, you can find us on Twitter, After Hours CBS. We haven't yet revealed to you the TD of the week. We ran out of time last night, so we didn't have a chance to do that. Uh, Also, if you are ready for week number six, Well, we've got the latest in QB news because a lot of the quarterbacks speak on Wednesdays. It's required by the NFL for certain players and obviously the coaches that have to speak on particular days coming out of one football week and going into the next. Uh, We've still got our sad sap of the week and the show question of the night. I trust me, you've not ever heard this one on our show before. We like to keep you on your toes. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. You're listening to After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Firing for the end zone. Caught. Touchdown. Touchdown. Takes it himself to the pylon. Touchdown. One man to beat 10. He's gone. They throw in the end zone. Caught. Touchdown! Made a guy miss. He's inside the five. He's to the three to one. Tom Stubbs feathers helping into the end zone. Touchdown! The people have spoken, and one score stands above the rest. Here is your TD of the week. The Buffalo Bills. Snap. Josh handles it. Back to throw. Pocket collapsing. Fires a deep one downfield. Looking for Gabe Davis. Makes the catch at midfield. He's going to sail into the end zone. Gabe Davis at the 20. At the 10. Touchdown. Holy mackerel. 98 yards. Touchdown. Gabe Davis on third and 10 at their own two. That's a way to start. Holy mackerel. Obviously, they uh, on that first third down, um, they doubled both of them. Uh, they both doubled Steph and Gabe. From what I saw, I saw the safety go this way. I saw two guys kind of sitting here playing the sticks a little bit, and Gabe just, uh, you know, did his thing and ran and gave him a chance to go make a play, and he did. 
Josh Allen saw the opportunity and he seized the day. First drive of the game for the Bills against the Steelers. And that was just the beginning. There was much more to come. In fact, they were up 31-3 to at the half. And Gabe Davis himself had, what is it, like 200 yards uh, receiving and had a couple of touchdowns. And both of them fairly acrobatic. It was an overwhelming choice by you for TD of the week on both of our social media sites. As always, our polls originate from our show Twitter account after our CBS. And if you haven't seen the phenomenal defense, the leather being flashed by Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley of the Braves, two separate videos. We've got them up on our show Twitter and our Facebook page too, after hours with Amy Lawrence. So uh, I thought since we're really quick here and also since we have Marco... Uh, Marco and I are about the same age. I think we talked about this before, but we're we're the same gen. I think so. Yes. Jay is not the same gen as us. I don't think so. So, Jay, are you technically a millennial? I think so, yeah. Oh, dear. Okay, well. Yeah, no, he's definitely there. Not. There went a beautiful relationship. Okay, so <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I know. I'm pretty sure millennials are ruining the world. But I'm, wow. I'm teasing. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong, so. I, uh, <laughs> I'm with you, Jay. I'm just an old man, but I'm with you. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't that long ago that Jay and I somehow ended up in this discussion about how people respond to text messages with or or and it could be a Facebook message. I don't use Facebook message much, but people respond to DMs, that kind of thing, with a thumbs up emoji, right? Mm. Like that's that that to me seems so dismissive and rude, and also it could be interpreted a bunch of different ways. But sometimes that's all people say. I'll send them a big long text message, and I just get a thumbs up in response. And it's not just men. I mean, that would be stereotypical, but I think more men probably do it than women. But I even get that from my female a couple of female friends now and then and I just it annoys the crap out of me Hmm. by the way I just want you all to know that after I talked about this on the air a bunch of my friends who I didn't previously realize listened to the show sent me they ha 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 with the thumbs up emoji because they were listening anyway there's a new study that was done among thousands of young people between 16 and 29. So, Jay, that doesn't even include you. Not anymore. Sorry. Uh, a bunch of young people between ages 16 and 29, and that would be Gen Z. That's what you okay. are. You're Gen Z. Apparently, the younger generation also thinks the thumbs-up emoji is rude and passive-aggressive. <laughs> so... So a couple of other things. Well, some of these users are saying because it's confusing, it could mean a number of different things. It could be a yes. It could just be, hey, I got your message, whatever. I mean, I just think it's an, it's annoying. If that's all you have to say as a response to a message, it, it just seems very dismissive in my opinion. Is hey, this conversation's over kind of a thing. Uh, it doesn't bother me. I don't use emojis of any kind. That's just no? not. No, it's just not. Oh, my you're thing. missing out. Yeah, it's not my thing. Lots of animal emojis. Yeah, so no. much fun. Yeah, smiley faces and all that nonsense. I don't. I don't do that stuff. That's. But that's me. That's me. That's because you don't smile. Uh, rarely. <laughs> uh, so, but I wouldn't. If I had a lot of people give me the thumb, I don't. I don't. I. I, I, I usually admit it's something where the the conversation is pretty much done. It's almost like instead of saying "got it," they're just giving you a thumbs. I, I'm. Okay. Doesn't bother me. Well, it bothers. Gen Z that gets their feelings hurt over everything. Ages 16 to 29. This is, they're, they're very sensitive. <laughs> uh, and so they, <laughs> they apparently think it's passive aggressive, but also it's rude. Now listen to this. Emojis probably won't surprise you. Are more likely to be used by those over 35. 
Okay, so that would include both Marco and I. We're both over 35. Uh, Jay's not, but I will just say for Jay, he... Well, did you tell me that you use more emojis when you text with me because because I do it or... No, I tend, I use them. I won't lie, I use you them. You use them yeah. with your other friends? Yeah, I use them. Who are a lot of guys, not all guys, but a lot of guys. Yeah, maybe not as much, but I do use them. <laughs> all right, so Jay also uses emojis even though he's not quite 35. But apparently these young people also think that if you use them in the workplace that you are, it's very alienating. They don't feel included if you use emojis in a workplace, which I, the only people I use would be with, with Jay, but we're friends in addition to being, like you. I feel like mm-hmm. I've probably used a couple emojis and texts to you. Probably. But you have a flip phone, though, don't you? Or did you finally get a smartphone? No, I don't have a flip Okay, phone. but you used to when I first met you. Ten years ago? Yes, I did. Yes, okay. Yes, I did. So anyway, he, there's more, though. And this is the part that I find highly amusing. This won't apply to Marco since he's already indicated he does not use emojis. But producer Jay, are you ready? The top 10 most offensive emojis, according to young people, the ones that indicate that you're old, essentially. So this is, again, according to the thousands of young people ages 16 to 29. These are the emojis that they said, A, mean that you're old because our generation doesn't use them. And B, that they find to be offensive. And I I don't know why, because I'm not a 16-year-old, but you know what I said about them. So these are are some of the ones that they they feel like indicate that you're not part of their generation. The thumbs up emoji, which we just talked about. The red heart emoji. Okay, that's one of my favorites. That's in my top three. I use the red heart emoji all the time. (laughs) I'm clearly old. I've already told you all that. The okay hand. I've never once used either the thumbs up or the okay symbol either. Jay uses the okay symbol every now and then. Yeah, but only to when I'm describing something as, like, being perfect or being, like, really good. I'll never just use that as, like, a okay, like, conversation ender. So it would always be in context. Mm. We're like, oh, like, very nice. Like, emphasis on the nice. What's the green tick? I don't know what that is. The check gr- mark? Is it a check mark? Oh, yeah, probably. Oh, my gosh, that's so hard to find in my list of emojis. It's not even one that pops up right away. So it, my smartphone, my Galaxy S10e, has no joke thousands of emojis and if you have to search through the emojis i I give up green tick that's weird okay i'm just taking a guess here that that makes sense to me all right be the check mark i think that's right here's more the 10 most offensive emojis which is really funny the ones that uh mean that you're old the monkey covering his eyes i've used that one before but i wouldn't say it's in my top three but i have used it before um the clapping hands I've never used that one. Is that the one that has the, like, parentheses? That one's aggressive. Uh, Yeah, I don't like that one at all. I think that one's stupid. (laughs) I don't know that one. So the the way that it indicates motion is it's got those two kind of almost like parentheses on the side. You know how it indicates motion? kind of like a get your ass in gear, like, now when I see that one. Oh, really? That's what you think? I just thought it was like applause. No, I see it as, like, like you know, pick it up. This is one that I've never used in my life, and I wouldn't, because I would agree that it's way too extra and aggressive. The lipstick kiss mark. Yeah, no, that's that's ew. Yeah, that's weird. No, that is weird. Okay, so maybe <laughs> I'm not quite as old as I thought. The grimacing face. Which one is that one? Is that the one with the where it's showing all of his teeth? No, that's a smiley one. I mean, it's a huge. That's like smiling with all your teeth. Like a, a smirking one. Grimacing face. I don't know. What, I'm not sure exactly what that one is. Uh, I do. I <laughs> I do love the eye roll emoji. So I hope it's not that one. Uh, okay, here's another one that makes you look old. 
Are you Googling it so we know which one is the grimacing face? It comes up as the one with the teeth, one of my actual favorite ones, which is... Oh, hmm. dear. We're going to wow, ch- we're, we're gonna have to pivot, Jay. Uh, the loud crying face. So not the one with the teardrop, but the one where you've got, like, tears streaming down your face. Oh, I've definitely used that one. I don't know if it's in my top three, but I've used that a lot. I'm so old. <laughs> now, are you ready? There's more. There's more. This is... I don't know why this makes people old, but did you know the... Well, it's the emoji that looks like chocolate ice cream, but it's not chocolate ice cream with the eyeballs. The poop? Uh-huh. Essentially, it's poop with eyeballs. Okay. Just wait until your son gets a phone. That's going to be mm. his favorite. We have that as a pillow in the house. Dude. Why? I don't know. <laughs> so, it's in the, I saw it on the couch once. I was like, why is this here? Did you but, know where it came from? You uh, knew it was an emoji? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay. I, guess I don't use them. Have I seen them? Sure. People send me stuff all the time, but... Uh, I just don't go to these things. I mean, according to thousands of young people, if you use this, the the poop emoji, you're old. Yeah. Look. <laughs> Look. Being old, I'll say this, but I'm around enough young people, if you will. Me too. Anything that you do makes you old. <laughs> so it's cool. Like it's just, it's just take it. It is what it is. Yeah. You, if you're older than them, they look at you as that's old. True. So anything that's that you true. say or do makes you old. That's, that's Own it. Interesting. So again, this is a poll of Gen Zers, and they listed these ten emojis as the one that the ones that make you look old and out of touch. That part makes that's even funnier. You're out of touch if you use the poop emoji. Do you know I once sat in my elementary school classroom at church and asked the kiddos, we had well, they brought it up. We had a whole conversation about whether or not that was ice cream or poop. They were sure it was poop. So if a first grader knows all about that, why does that make us old and out of touch? And by us, I don't mean you, I just mean anyone. No, throw who me uses in there. It. I'm cool. I, I see again, own it. <laughs> no, like I, I I don't know. I I will say this though, it's it's always funny to me, like, you know, offensive or what. Like, we really have to, like, study, like, the, the emojis that come back in the text. Jeez. Like, yes, I, uh, who's got time for this kind of stuff? I well, think it's offensive to call, for Gen Z to call people out of touch. <laughs> right? Let people, I thought it was all, let everyone do what they want to do. What, now you right. call people out of touch? M- millennials out of touch are, people out of touch. Do anything that makes you happy. That's the, apparently, apparently Gen not, apparently Z. Not. Gen Z didn't get that memo. So in light of all of that, now this doesn't apply to Marco, and actually Jay and I took the quiz earlier, uh, meaning like I had to identify his top three emojis and he had to identify mine, which was actually kind of funny. Um, But we want to know the top three emojis that you use. And if it makes you old, then whatevs. That's our question for tonight. Own it. Yeah, exactly. Own it. I'm going to reply because I know my top three emojis. Uh, One of them's not even on there. (laughs) I'm kind of proud of that. (laughs) Anyway, what are the top three emojis that you use in conversation? And if you're a Gen Zer, well, you know what? Emojis are okay. If it makes you happy, you can use an emoji. We're okay with it. I shall crow. But I would say this. What makes me really old is I'm the one that actually uses commas and periods oh, me in too. text. So yeah, see, what's that better? Apparently using is- emojis or not knowing how to spell? Using acronyms for everything? Because Gen Z, that's your bleeping problem. You can't spell <laughs> anything. <laughs> oh, uh, my gosh. I, the acronyms, I, I won't say that makes me... They, I just confused. I don't know all of them. So when I get them back, I'm always kind of like... Wait, which one is this Jay's one Jay's happy to help. He's yeah, constantly I, telling me what his acronyms mean because I'll, I'll, I'm so old and dumb. I'll be fair. Just there's a lot time. of time. If I don't understand it, there's a good chance I'm not responding to you just because I don't yeah. I, I don't care enough to ask you what it is. And Thumbs I don't know what emoji. it is. 
Yeah, you're not going to get that either. Yeah, you know, there's a good chance you're not going to get a response at that point. Then if you come back to me, it's like, all right, well, what do you want? Like, what do you need? Because I don't know what this means. I don't know what this means. All right, so that was fun. Top three emojis that you use, and there's no judgment here. If if you appear to be old or out of touch, I mean, you're right in lockstep with me. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. It's the NBA, professional sports, these things happen. Nobody likes it. Um, we don't condone it, but it happened. Uh, Draymond apologized to the team this morning. Jordan was there in the room. We were, I was there in the room, the team, the coaches, the players. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. The voice of Bob Myers, general manager of the Golden State Warriors. And no, I'm, I'm not going to break down the Warriors' chances of repeating as NBA title holders. I'm, I'm not going to talk about preseason action. But I do think it's fascinating the way that teams have to close ranks or have to be careful of even their own internal video and audio in 2022. And this is just an example. It's not the only example. I will, and this is not an indictment or an excuse for Rachel Nichols, but she was also exposed by a member of her own company. Right, So you no longer can trust everyone, even inside your own building. Again, I'm not saying that it excuses people who do things or say things that are inflammatory or deserve to be disciplined, but it should still be internal. That's the part that bothers me the most about this warrior situation. If you've ever played sports, and I don't mean sports at the professional level, but certainly there are people out there who've played sports at the professional level. Tempers run hot. Especially in the preseason, and and I can draw my own experience here because I can tell you the number of times that my teammates and I in college were so flipping tired of playing against one another And the worst thing about, say, two-a-days or long preseason stretches where you're only battling against your own teammates is that they all know the plays, too. And so they cheat or it's impossible to be successful because you're playing against people who already know what's coming. But just at the end of a preseason, which is where the Warriors are, they've already traveled to the Far East. They've been together for quite a while. They're just tired of facing against each other, battling against each other. They're tired of seeing each other. (laughs) You want to see somebody else. You don't want to see your own teammates. Both Jordan Poole and Draymond Green are fiery. I'm not excusing Draymond. I haven't even watched the video because that's how strongly I feel about a video being leaked internally. I don't want to see it. I don't want to contribute to that. I'm not telling you that Draymond Green didn't do anything wrong. I generally don't believe it's ever a good idea to be punching people, especially not those who are on your side. And he's been away from the team 
since this altercation with Jordan Poole that goes back now a week. And we hear from Steve Kerr that they did not suspend Draymond. And actually, as he comes back to the team, they're ready to clear the air. We feel like this is the best way after assessing everything for us to move forward. Um, it's never easy, no matter what decision you make in a situation like this, um, it's not gonna be perfect. This is the biggest crisis that we've ever had um, since I've been coach here. It's really serious stuff. We would hope that we've developed enough equity you know, with um, the experience we have with our fan base, um, with the people watching over the last decade that um, people can trust us that we've we've really put a lot of thought into this decision. And as I said, we feel like this is the, the best way for us to move forward. Jordan and Draymond got together and had um, a, a, a great discussion that uh, I think will help us move forward. They are finding him. They're not suspending him. Jordan wants to move forward. Steph Curry has been vital in the process of communication and trying to keep everybody together. Again, I'm not excusing Draymond's behavior. We know that this is the potential for him when when he runs hot. Same as Aaron Donald, though, in the joint practice where the video was out there. And I know the media had access to it. But in this case, we're talking about an internal practice. There should have been no outsiders. There should have been no eyeballs. There should have been no one who sent this to TMZ. That actually bothers me more than an incident between two players that they handle internally and that I believe is going to make them stronger as a team. It's just there's nothing sacred now anymore because if people can sell a video and make a buck, that's what they're going to do, and teams have to know it. It's After Hours on CBS Sports Radio.